Tonight, I'm going to devote the entire show to poetry and to poets, sharing two interviews I did late last year with Valley Poets Bill Churchill and Michelle Penaloza. You will hear a mix of poetry, process, and lots of discovery as these two fine Mendocino County poets discuss what makes them right. But first, here's a song that I can't seem to get out of my head. It just seems so relevant right now. See what you think. That's dying in the corner of the sky 
These are the days of miracle and wonder And don't cry, baby, don't cry Don't cry, don't cry Former Poet Laureate of Ukiah, Habas W. Bill Churchill, first started submitting poetry for publication in 1979, becoming a member of the Ina Coolberth Poetry Circle in Berkeley, a membership that he maintains to this date. He has been an active poet teacher with California Poets in the School since 1998, and he teaches poetry at Mendocino County Juvenile Hall. As a bilingual poet, he writes in English and Spanish, and he has toured Spain and Cuba with a contingency of Bay Area poets. He has also been widely featured around Mendocino County, Berkeley, San Francisco, L.A., and Vancouver, British Columbia. Bill is a married single dad, but his sons now have wives and children of their own, so now he is grandfather of five. He's an avid water person, and he sails San Francisco Bay and swims with pentapods wherever and whenever they pop up to say hi. He wants listeners to know that he has a deep connection to the south coast of Mendocino as his great-great-grandparents, John and Carrie Johnson, arrived at Point Arena on a Norwegian lumber schooner from Oslo in the 1850s. What you're going to hear now is a conversation between me and Bill Churchill, Hello, Bill Churchill. It's just such a pleasure to have you here on the phone with me talking about poetry. Oh, it's no, it's a pleasure and it's an honor for me, too. Thank you. Will you do us a favor and start us off with a poem? Okay. Um, I'll start you off with a poem that um, um, that was a, uh, was problematic. I, I'm, I'm bilingual. I, I speak Spanish and English, and I write in both. And a lot of poems I write are are, uh, are in Spanish, and they and I translate them back into English. Uh, not too long ago, I was invited to read at a, a Cinco de Mayo celebration in Ukiah, and this is before being poet laureate or anything. And and I oh, I was really thrilled, and I got up on the stage, big crowd, you know, and uh, and I read this response poem, uh, bilingual, and the audience just. They, they just really participated and a big applause. And I turned around and got off the stage and there were a little group of merchants from town standing at the bottom of the steps. And they looked at me, um, uh, in a, in, 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 in a very angry way. And they said, don't ever, don't ever, uh, perform here again. Uh, they were very threatened, um, by the, the, uh, you know, by the, by the response uh, of the Spanish-speaking public, and so the fact that it was bilingual and, and you you riled the and, were, and and I you and I'll read the poem to you, but um, but um, but then a few months later, I, I, I'm with the literary committee and and Yukai have been for a long time, and and they said, would you accept um, being nominated for poet laureate? And I said, are you sure? Because <laughs> I can't read downtown anymore. Anyway, so that's so I'm going to read this poem. And uh, I don't know how many bilingual readers 
or bilingual uh, um, listeners you have, but, but this is to them too, okay? Thank All you. Right. It's called Un Día de Estos, one of these days. Y que sea pronto, and I hope it's soon. No nos llamaremos adversarios ni forasteros indocumentados. We won't call one another adversaries or illegal aliens. Un día de estos, one of these days, y que sea pronto, and I hope it's soon. No habrá que nos divida ni paredes ni orillas, sino compartiremos ambos lados. We won't be divided by either walls or shores, but we will share both sides. Un día de estos, one of these days, y que fuese pronto, and that'd be soon. No andaremos extraviados, rojo contra azul, gabachos y mojados. We won't be estranged, red against blue, white trash and wet backs. Sino nos revelaremos el camino y nos trataremos como hermanos. But we will show one another the way and treat each other like brothers. Un día de estos, one of these days, y demasiado pronto, no way too soon. No habrá ricos gringolandeses ni pobres latino, afro y nativo americanos. There won't be rich gringos and poor Latin, afro and native Americans. Sino puros sobrevivientes, only survivors. Y serán pocos, and just a few. Un día de estos, one of these days, y ojalá pronto, and hopefully soon, enfrentaremos lo que nos separa. We will confront that which divides us. El avaricio y el miedo avarice and fear, y repartiremos lo que queda, and we'll share what's left. One of these days, un día de estos, y debe de ser muy pronto, and it better be soon. Dejémonos de ser mayoría y minoría, homofóbicos y machistas. We should cease being majority and minorities, homophobes and sexists, y dar paso al solidario, and give solidarity a chance, antes que ni. Se nos vence el paso before our chance is gone. Yeah. So that, that got me in trouble. But as a poet and an artist, when you're invited never to return because of revealing prejudice and racism or sexism, man, that's the biggest prize there is. Oh, and I've won that for Zapita. I'm not welcome to a few states. Not in Arizona. Not in Texas. Not in Alabama. Go figure, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Thank you for, doing uh, for for being such a voice. I think that's why I wanted to have you on the show. And a lot of people in the county don't know you as Bill. As you said, your your gringo friends call you Bill, and you're also high. Yeah, yeah. Correct. That's all right. I'll answer to both. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, the other thing that I wanted to read, because it's what we do, you know. Yeah. Um, with uh, with kids, it's uh, um, California Poets in the Public Schools. I, I think I sent you a copy of this with the, this year's poems. Um, I work juvenile hall, and um, the kids at the juvenile hall, and you know, in Ukiah and Mendocino County, have have just had so much success getting into the state ontology. And it's, you know, not if we're, you know, uh, in competition with, with so many much more advantaged kids, et cetera. Right. But it's what they have to say and how they say it. And so this is to them. Okay. It's not, is the title of the poem. It's not who you are 
who your parents are, were, or not, which side of the tracks, housing tracks, shelter, or bridge you slept under. It's not where you studied, ivy-walled or iron-barred. It's what you carry, what's inside your chest, gay, bi, or straight, red, or yellow, black, or white. What you have to say now, if only just once you say it. Every word, razor sharp, a landed punch. So everyone who hears bleeds the same color that boils through your veins. It's what, what you have to say, your truth. And I said, I'm listening. Yes. That always chokes me up, man. Yeah, yeah. I love that about you, too. When you read, you bring so much of the emotion into your words that... I end up just washed in goosebumps, and I really feel the way of the emotion and the kind of passion, and there's this, like, romantic pathos that just, like, everything about your love of life, it sings from your poetry. No, oh, thanks. Hey, I got this other one, and okay. it's an older poem, but <laughs> it's an older poem, but, but, um, but you know, we've, um, we've lost... Um, a lot of beautiful sights to fire. We've lost, we've lost some beautiful human beings to not only fire but to the to, to COVID. And and uh, and this poem I wrote a while back uh, um, to uh, to an orchard that is no more in memory of uh, my uh, paternal grandfather and. Uh, one of his colleagues, a man named Roswell Cochran, they got together and uh, hooked up with uh, General Pershing and Chase Panchavi in New Mexico in 1915, and went to went to went to France in 1918, and came back. and A lot of them went on to fight Franco in the Lincoln Brigade in you know 1937. So uh, this is to to those we've lost. Okay. It's called Roswell Cochran's Orchard, in memory of those we've lost. Roswell Cochran sleeps, but his orchard still remains. Broken ranks of trees, long unattended, twisted noble, gray. Sport, a staggered burst of color, one sweet branch of petals after another. Like boutonnieres on old men gathered in a park. Once slender, supple trees paced off and at attention 80 years, missed hugs of the empty space and pieces, those still standing reminisce of highways cut to honor each man's land, of trains at Warfield Station, of schools that opened two weeks late for the harvest to come in when prunes were still a money crop and songs were three a dime. The empty spaces speak that they will not be filled. No absentees replaced. Thus destiny and old friends be forgotten until the lot and memory is raised until the last tree falls. Mm. Okay. Oh, Bill. You like that? Oh, of course I do. Are you kidding? Cool. It's fantastic. You know, right now with the smoke hanging in the air and the feeling we all have, and really it brings up so much inside me, I've been finding myself 
every day, multiple times a day, all the time practically, just talking to the trees around me, telling them how much I love them. And how sorry I am about all their relatives. The tree people are really suffering. And then last night I was outside and I saw this turquoise sparkle coming from the ground. And as an artist, I thought, oh, I probably left some piece of something. You know, it's one of my, <laughs> my baubles yeah, on yeah. the ground. And I go over yeah. and it was a spider. And it's a great-looking spider, and it, was, and it blends perfect with the ground. You don't see any of that sparkle, that iridescent thing. And then the minute I stood up, there's that purple turquoise coming at me again. I'm just like, wow, spider. And those are the kinds of things that, you know, we talk a lot about our structures and, of course, awful, our earth, you know, and all of the creatures are also part of so much of the devastation that's happening. And it's, yeah. it's a lot to sit with every day and stay peaceful. And, I, you know, and that's so difficult, but so not important, but essential, essential. To, uh, to, to reconnect. On Lisa and I went out to uh, Namata Big River yesterday and, and, uh, <laughs> and, 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 uh, got in the, in the water with one of our little pinniped friends and, uh, and uh, and and uh, swam from the breakers into uh, well inside the 101 or is it 101? No, it's the highway one, one bridge. And uh, and the thing that that the purple that you described is uh, underwater is eelgrass, and it's uh, not only is it that iridescent color, it's like almost uh, neon sometimes. Right. But what it induces is uh, complete vertigo. <laughs> so you, you look like you're drunk when you're getting out of the water, you know. It's, but it, yeah, but it uh, it puts you back into that world, and uh, I love that color too. Anyway, I got to be honest here. This is I just wrote this. This the the, the ink is still dry on this okay. one. Okay. Okay. And it has to do with what we do. It's called first spoken words. They're feelings so poignant, fragile egg, that best remain unspoken, nestled in the down of the heart until such time that they, more fully formed, must test their shell or wither, stillborn, promises unkept, much as a dream breaks from deepest sleep into conscious light, to fledge upon first spoken words, amniotic wings, unfettered by doubt, Fear of falling short to fly, albeit awkwardly, one heart to another. Okay. Look at that for a second. It's hard for me to jump right in and start talking. You put me in silence. No, it's wonderful. Okay. You just wrote that. Yeah, I think that's, that's really the challenge for us as human beings, and I think as poets especially, we our role is to be in the now. I just want to uh, coast on that, and, and, and that's like when I've done readings, um, and I've been lucky, man. That's, I think to, just to be asked to read is, is, is the biggest acknowledgement I know, other than being not asked to read ever again. Um, <laughs> and and uh, um, the, uh, the way that I've uh, loved, that I've come to love to, to do a reading which is frustrating to organizers is as I'll, I'll read a few introductory poems and then 
and then have the open reading and then and then I'll respond to, to all the poems that touch me and then give them a chance and that and that and that levels the field man that um and that that's yeah but it's honest you know that's it's easy to come in with your best stuff and and or what you think's the best stuff and lay it out and um um and then withdraw that's not what this is about yeah right yeah I think one of the hottest readings I've ever been to in my whole life I organized, and that was with you, Teresa, and DeVoe, and you did a Valentine's Day reading here in, uh, <laughs> in Ukiah, man. You picked three saucy ladies to be your Valentine poets. <laughs> that, that, was, that, that was not a coincidence, man. That was so deliberate on my part. Yeah, I enjoyed that. Yeah. <laughs> couldn't really even come fun. close to what you guys do, you know. So you that were was poet fun. laureate. You were poet laureate of Ukiah. Was yeah. that when you were poet laureate of Ukiah when you organized that? Yeah. 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 I took over that Thursday night uh, venue and kept it going for a while, and then I I got really ill and uh, and almost kind of uh, almost you know didn't come back, and, and then I think I, I, and then it was left to whoever the incoming poet laureate was. Um, I think Michael Rydell, what a, what a magical voice, man. Oh. Uh, he took over and then, uh, um, and then I think, uh, in lieu of, uh, our current laureate, I think Dan kept it going. So it's still going, it's but, going, uh, yeah. not, not, not live, but I mean, it's, uh, it's always been really well attended. It was. It's been. It, it, it's a good thing. It's just like yours, you know. Yeah. That, yeah. And I got to read. And I got to read for Writers Read in the fall of last year. Yeah. It's a wonderful read. Yeah. Amazing community. Yeah. Just to highlight how many voices that are so powerful and so grounded and so connected and reflective of this universal vision that we have right here in our county. We often think. You know, bigger world sometimes, and we have such a big world here. I just really wanted to highlight all the people who've inspired me and the poets that I look to when I want to read poetry. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, 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 again, I got in trouble with some oh, people. Oh, I, I bet you did. No, 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 it's okay. <laughs> that's what Jabez means, you know. Well, means that's why you close. work at Juvenile Hall. We yeah, understand, no, I mean, Bill. I get it. <laughs> but anyway... I brought in uh, poets from the Greater Bay Area, even friends from uh, Vancouver, to read at that reading, and um, and uh, and they were so thrilled to be invited here, and so impressed by um, you know the, just uh, the response and the quality of the poetry they heard in the open mic, and they keep asking, when can we come back? When can we come back? And the complaint was, well, hey, this should be a local venue. So, um, so, um, uh, I'm oh, excited. Local, local yeah, one. I'm excited that you're going to bring in some, some, you know, some, some voices from the, you know, from outside the area, just because, just because. It's uh, inspired. It's important. And and it's inspired. Yeah. yeah, and, and, and it's. With the Third Thursday Poetry, I mean, I will feature poets from Mendocino County, but it's often, you know, as far away as San Diego County, and it yeah. has to be in California because we're, we're Poets and Writers California Reading Series. But yeah. I reach all over the state, and I'm lucky because, like you, through California Poets in the Schools, we have quite a 
statewide network of poets who yeah. also devoted themselves to sharing their love of language with youth as, as visiting artists in the classroom. And yeah. so there's just some really wonderful poets that I'm lucky because I'm exposed to that. And then through other things, I meet poets other ways. And so I, I feel it's kind of my cultural imperative locally to bring those voices to help us as poets here, be inspired because, you know, writing is a lonely craft, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, I want to make sure that Shut people up. who are listening, is there a way that people can find out more about you? Do you, you know, <laughs> yeah, that's what I thought you were going to oh, Anyway, you know, this is, this is like in the late 90s, I, I produced uh, two um, chapbooks and... Uh, self-published and then after that I, I did two books in the early I think it was 1999 and, and 2000 or something like that produced two books to uh, Kalupi Press it, it was it was so much fun uh, it was Arthur Dawson's press and he handpicked the illustrators and it was just I was blown away it was fun right. but then I had to like then I had to promote it you know I had to impose upon uh, all my friends and family to buy books, and that I didn't. I didn't do that. Any, I just don't do that anymore. It's just yeah. I don't want to do that anymore. But I've been really lucky to get um, to get published in some really nice uh, college journals and anthologies. Uh, you know, win some prizes and stuff like that. You know, and I I still do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when you get published in a journal or in an anthology or you like thousands of people read that you know and uh so i i that's that's and and then readings i love to do readings so uh all you have to do really is google javis w churchill and all of those things that have been published are, are there you know so what i'd love for you to do is take us out with a poem okay this is um this this, this got um this got published by uh, Don Emblem, uh, who was um, the head of the English department at Santa Rosa Junior College for decades. He was called the curmudgeon, but uh, um, but when you got his approval, it was it's just you know it was, um, and he had his own press. It might still exist, um, and, uh, and, um, and 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 people don't know. Uh, that Santa Rosa Junior College is one of the top three junior colleges in the United States of America and has been over for over 50 years. It's uh, ain't just a local school. You know what I'm saying? Wow. Yeah. Okay. Um, I'll do it in Spanish and I'll do it in English. It's not a long poem. Okay. It's called A Ti Te Canto. A ti, tierra querida, de opulencia y pena, te canto. En templo de puros árboles y cielo, Canciones que me heredaron, melodías a teclas blancas, semi-mentiras que me cantaban a mí. Canto a los marchitos, los que en memoria nos esperan, sombras atrapadas en polvo y añicos, ecos alados entre velas, por los zócalos vacíos de Texas y Arizona, los golfos de México y Persia, y fuera al pleno mar, al reciente pleno mar. Canto a los vivos, legales, 
e indocumentados, las putas y sus chulos, y a los que no me escucharán canciones que me apenan y complacen, melodías a teclas negras y a blancas, notas bemoles y eternas, enteras, completas y verdaderas, que ojalá tierra herida, morada y querida, te cantarán en armonía a ti. To thee I sing, to thee sweet land of opulence and sorrow I sing, and around houses of living trees and sky, songs that were bequeathed me, melodies played on white geese, half-truths that were sung to me. I sing to the dead, those who in memory wait, shadows caught amidst the dust and broken pieces, echoes foiled between the main and jib across the emptied socalos of Texas and Arizona, the Mexican and Persian gulfs, and out the shining sea. I sing to the living, legal and undocumented prostitutes and johns, and those who would not hear songs that pain and please me, melodies played on black and white keys, half notes, whole notes, real notes, that they, O oh, sweet, wounded, purple land, might sing in harmony with thee. Oh, all right. That's what I get. <laughs> <laughs> all right, man. Tell you. No, no. Yes, 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 yes. Um, okay. I'm so... a bringer of great words out into the planet. You really make my heart sing every time I hear you. So, uh, I just... Love, just love being in your presence, man. I had a good time. Yeah. Thank you. All right. All right. Love you. <laughs> love yeah. you too. And that was Bill Churchill, poet from Ukiah. And you are listening to Be More Now right here on KZWX. I'm your host, Blake Moore. And up next is an interview that I did with Michelle Penaloza another valley poet. Michelle Pinaloza is the author of Former Possessions of the Spanish Empire, and that is the winner of the 2018 Hilary Gravensteig National Poetry Prize. She is also the author of two chapbooks, Landscapes Heartbreak and Last Night I Dreamt of Volcanoes. The recipient of fellowships and awards from the University of Oregon and Kundiman, Michelle has also received support from Lemon Tree House, Caldera, Four Culture, Literary Arts, Vana, Voices, and the Bread Loaf Writers Conference, among many others. The proud daughter of Filipino immigrants, Michelle was born in the suburbs of Detroit, Michigan, and raised in Nashville, Tennessee. She now lives in rural Northern California in Covalo Round Valley. I'm Michelle Pinaloza. It is such a pleasure to have you here with me. Do you want to start us off with Thanks a poem? Thanks for having me. Yeah. Do you want to sure. start off with a poem? Yeah. Let's start with this one. Just saying. I'm sorry I ate all the beef jerky. I know you wanted some, but I ate it all. It was salty and chewy and delicious. You make fun of me for turning everything into a poem. Farming's taught me how hard it is to actually turn anything that runs on a gas motor. The ditch witch and the rototiller pull you forward and only in the direction you choose to go first. A pull in only one direction is what I feel most these days, why I stuff my face with beef jerky. 
We've sunk our money into the ground, hoping what grows will turn into money and that money will turn into the life we're trying to grow. Calm down. I'm not talking kids. But I am trying to talk about something. Something like abundance, which comes from Latin abundantia, meaning overflowing. Like the way you fill our cups with water each night and place them on our nightstands because we need to stay hydrated. I'm always wanting and needing so much. Can need be overflowing? Can need brim over? I'm sure there's something here I could relate to farming, how it's not about transformation so much as moving mass, pallets of dirt, buckets of compost tea, from one place to another, the wheelbarrow always in use, never resting, full of seabird pellets, with so much depending not upon it, but on the strength or weakness of our arms on any given day. These days, I don't write anything down, but I listen. I actually hear the sound wings make when birds fly. What else could be more like a poem? Maybe that face you made when I did not answer when you asked, what happened to all the beef jerky? Bravo. <laughs> that William Carlos Williams riff off that. I really enjoy your take. That is fantastic. I assume that was written for your husband? Uh, yeah, yes, it was. It was written for me, but, you know, but he's in there. He was the you. <laughs> so why don't you tell the audience a little bit about your background and how you came to poetry? Uh... I'm a Filipino-American. I was born in the suburbs of Detroit and grew up in the suburbs of Nashville, mostly, and also in the city of Nashville. I came to poetry, I think, first, definitely as a reader, and it wasn't until college when I took uh, classes wherein I actually read poets. I was introduced to poets who looked more like me than anyone I'd ever been able to study before, anyone that was ever presented me by any teachers. I didn't really see any Asian-American poets or read any Asian-American poets um, until I was in college, you know, nearly uh-huh. 20. And mm-hmm. um, I feel like that was the first time uh, that uh, Lee Young Lee's book, um, Rose, was the first full collection I ever read by an Asian-American wow. writer. And um, so that book along with several others, um, you know, Marilyn Chin, um, the poet I, um, Garrett Hongo, you know, I feel like those faces along with their words gave me permission to write that I didn't know that I needed and that I never had received before or, you know, um, yeah, because I've always been a reader my whole life, although lately not so much pandemic time really much more TV time for me. It's hard for me to read lately. But, uh, but yeah, um, that's sort of how I came to poetry um, in, in one sense. And in another, um, one time I, I often answer this question by, you know, of course, in a roundabout poety way of relaying an anecdote. I was in the workshop of uh, a poet one time, and she began the workshop by asking everyone in the class, what hurt you into poetry? And I, I don't think that that's, that's the case for everyone, but for me, you know, that's a really resonant question. Um, and I feel like, you know, there's, 
there's a that could be a whole 22 minute conversation just uh, that question. So I'll let you <laughs> ask more. But no, um, but I mean I think that's that that one is way of such an insightful way of putting it. Because even if it's just the the realization of being sensitive and not seeing other people around you being sensitive and just the pain from that can lead you to poetry. That desire to communicate what, for me, I know when I first started writing poetry, my mom used to say, God, I thought you were a happy person. You're always writing about death and <laughs> despair. <laughs> Poor uh, mothers of poets. Um, my mom often asks me what I'm so angry about all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, so. Do you have any poems to, to speak to that? <laughs> Is there something that comes to mind? Oh, yeah, that's a great segue. Here's this one. This is from my book, uh, Former Possessions of the Spanish Empire. And this poem is titled, Letter from My Mother. Dear Bunso, fall settled in the backyard today. I finally turn on the heat inside the house. It gets so drafty. Maybe I should get someone to seal the windows. Maybe you can do it next time you visit. The green herons have stopped visiting my pond, and the cattails you broke apart this summer are gone. The maples, though, they look like they're on fire. I was single the first time I saw fall, you know? Single and newly arrived. So many leaves, so many new colors of leaves. Did I tell you? Wally's planning a fall wedding. She's picked the bridesmaids' dresses. I hope you like orange. Be nice. Don't complain to your cousin. Maybe you and Alex should start some planning. Fall is a fine time. Did I ever tell you the time Daddy took me on a hayride? He picked the fallen oak and maple leaves from my hair. I think we carved pumpkins that day. I know we drank warm cider under a cold sun. Enough that day like a postcard. I went to Meyer today. They have pumpkins for sale and a deal on apple cider, two gallons for $4. I bought some mowing spices for you. Kumain kaba? Have you been eating? What did you make Alex for dinner? Remember, be patient and kind. Even though you aren't married, love is all kindness and patience. Daddy, always that way. Have you bought any pumpkins? Maybe I'll buy one for myself this year. I haven't carved a pumpkin since you were a little girl. Lately, I thought, a decade is a long and not long time. I'm getting old. I feel it when I climb the stairs before bed. But don't worry. I go on walks. I did some Tai Chi yesterday. Maybe show me how to yoga when you come home for Christmas. You still have lots to learn from me. What I know fills books. That's what they say, right? You could write about me, about things that happened to me. I'll send you poem ideas. The other day, a bird with a snake in its mouth crashed into the blazer's windshield. Talk about symbolism. You should write a poem about that. Or your cousin Andrew, who's too stubborn to speak. Or Lola and Daddy. You should write poems about them. Oh, I know what you'll say. They're dead, Ma. Let them be dead. But you're more like me than you'd like. I'll be glad for you to come home, Bunso. For now, I'll watch Dancing with the Stars with your Tita Nora. Watch for the birds that are left. Wonderful. See, I love some of the things that your mother says to you and your responses. 
You really do capture that sense. <laughs> when, How does uh, she feel when she Oh, she loves that poem. She loves it. She loves that. She calls that, like, when I did my book launch in uh, Seattle uh, last uh, summer, she came from Michigan, and, um, you know, she came to all three events that I had, and she was there, you know, proud mom at all of them. And she loves that poem because that's, like, that's her poem. You know, she's like, when I was, you know, asking her, what should I read at this event? She's like, you should read my poem because everyone likes the poem you wrote about me. <laughs> so, yeah. For some reason, it made me think of this poem. Can I read you a poem that I wrote from my mother? Because mothers come up so much. It's called yeah. Migrations. Today, behind the grocery store, I saw a whale hop straight up. Two of them, in fact a mother and a baby, on Mother's Day, no less, dislodging the calm blue as if they were late for brunch with the sky, as I was for my phone call, driving too fast, perhaps, thinking about calories and foxgloves, how my mother's smile makes each day somehow easier, more complete, how much I wish it was closer than 2,400 miles away. Today, I am learning patience again, how to navigate from rough to unruffled, to keep my voice steadfast, heart deep in the earth of myself. Even when I'm pounding to get out of this tiny geometry, there are no stars bigger than a moment, no book louder than the call of self-beckoning, like the sun as it returns to warm my skin after days of hiding in the clouds. Hmm, nice. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah. Our mother. I love the tiny, the tiny geometry. I like that. Thank you. So it's such an interesting dance to be a poet. Do you ever sometimes wish, I just wish I were simpler? Uh, I think I'm pretty simple. <laughs> um, I don't know. I, I mean, I hear, I, I hear, you know, I feel some um, affinity with what you're saying, but I think that, I think I used to, I guess I don't think so much about, I, I mean, I write poems and I am a poet, but I don't, and it is a part of my identity, but I, I guess I don't hold it in that way particularly. I, I think when I was younger, I did, like, mm-hmm. kind of, um, you know, like, oh, I, like yeah, the I don't know. Of I, it. Yeah, and I don't really feel that way so much anymore. Like, I, um, I think that I, I find for my own taste, and myself, that preciousness is something I find a little cloying uh-huh. as, as I age. Uh-huh. Um, and and now I'm, you know, I'm I'm interested more in um, less about like, oh, what does it mean for me to be holding this, and and just more looking at like my hands and what is it I am holding, you know? Because right. um, right. meaning is there. You don't have to like. I don't think you have to scry for it so much. You know, right. it really is there. And I guess, you know, I think that, um, you know, when I teach, I talk to my students about how being a writer, so much of it, I mean, obviously it's writing. You, you're not a writer unless you're doing that work. But so much of it also happens um, before you get to the page. Mm. Um, or, yeah, I mean, it's it's about seeing with, as you were saying, you know, with, with sort of, po- I'm using bunny fingers here, poet eyes, quotation fingers, but, but I think part of that is, like, is just being willing to not only see those things, but, like, follow them towards something. 
In other words, you observe, and the best thing to do is get out of the way of what you're observing and bring it forth. Yeah, I, I mean, I think it's a balance, you know, of like being open to those things and then also not taking yourself too seriously. Mm-hmm. I think that's where the preciousness um, feels different as I get older, maybe. When did you start first calling yourself a poet? I guess when I got into grad school, uh-huh. like I didn't, I guess I needed that like outside validation. Like I would just say like, oh, I write poems sometimes, you know, and then I, I went, I got into an MFA program and I was like, oh, I'm a poet. I don't know. <laughs> I think that, uh, there's all, I, what does that even really mean? Like, I started thinking of myself as a poet, I would say, when I was studying poetry and really seriously writing, where it was like literally my daily goal and object and task and all of that. Um, right. I think that was like a concentrated moment in my life, which I'm very grateful for and feel very privileged to have had, because there's something about being able to write without having to... Like, you know, I was really, really privileged and lucky. I went to a program that was fully funded. And so I didn't, I mean, money was still a thing because even fully funded, you still have to eat. But, um, you know, like it, it was a real gift to not have to hold daily life in, in a certain way that I, right. you know, haven't really ever had that opportunity again, except maybe for like a residency here or there. But... You know, I I feel like for me, my task now is like trying to find that focus within the dailiness of of life without having to be like, oh, I have to go to a residency or, oh, I have to be in a program in order to focus in that way. Do you find one of the biggest challenges with being a poet is that the income stream for a poet is not the same as it is for other things that people classify themselves as. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think all artists in general, I mean, like, I mean, even famous poets, again, with the bunny fingers, famous poets (laughs) that we study, like Wallace Stevens was like an insurance administrator and William Carlos Williams was a gynecologist, you know, like, no one, unless you're independently wealthy or, you know, don't need very much, like, no who makes their money being just a poet? Most poets are teachers. Hey, you want to share another poem? Sure. Let's do this one. I'll read an abecedarian, which is um, a poem where every, the first letter of every line, you know, going down the page is in alphabetical order. Attempts at order. Alora buys you a little time for the throat clearing before boredom or a butterfly or the business of dailiness creeps into the art you're trying to render into something before dinner must be made. It's too late. You've launched into a poem. Expectations have been set, like in school. A is always better than, forget this. I'm interested in parameters, but my dead, my loving ghosts keep returning without any attention to boundaries helicoptering over my head, indivisible and impatient. Immigrants all carry ghosts like balloons ready to pop in July heat, though some are good at ignoring that squeak of rubber. Kitchen ghosts are predominant in my family, lamenting in the rice cooker, chuckling in the chicken bones. My mother rarely spends time in the kitchen the older she gets. No one asks her to cook anymore. Her tongue 
heavy and beautiful. Opal is her birthstone, pale and shining, both hot and cold, parameters of fire and ice in one gem. My mother no longer questions aloud the decisions I've made. In our older ages, she's resigned, it seems, to the fact of how to the facts of how her daughter, me, sails through the world. That is to say, not often, unless you transform the informal idiom, taking into account how very unglamorous and actually difficult sailing is. It looks very hard, doesn't it? I've never been a great swimmer. What wisdom can we wrangle from our failures? Oh, to x-ray our mistakes to some kind of lesson. Yes, that'd be useful. Yet instead, there is remembering and forgetting, zigging and zagging towards some ideal, towards some order that makes sense. That's wonderful. I would love to see that on the page. Has your writing, your practice, anything changed during the shelter in place and the way the world is different right now? Oh, yeah. I mean, I guess, uh, yeah, of course. I mean, I I think for me, um, I have not been writing as much. And, um, you know, I've seen a lot of people, I feel like, you know, I'm on social media probably more than I've ever been. Um, and I feel like there's a lot of like, oh, I'm writing my novel now, and I finished all these things and these home projects. And for me, you know, I'm just sort of, um, I feel like I'm in a space of listening more than producing, of, um, you know, living and surviving more than um, trying to, I, I guess a, lo- a lot of what's going on for me is sort of questioning, and I think poets do this anyway, because capital isn't really a part of the exchange often of doing any of the work that we do. Right. Um, but trying to, you know, examine and sort of um, evaluate or reevaluate what what value or what process really means. Like, you know, I feel like there's all of this pressure, especially, um, you know, in the U.S. to produce constantly, to prove your worth by way of productivity. Mm-hmm. And I think that, um, you know, I'm trying to hold this for myself, but also thinking about this, like how our value isn't connected to our, or shouldn't be connected to our productivity, but maybe more our, you know, our mutual um, involvement in community, or it's it's less about producing stuff and, and maybe more about being present. I don't know. Yeah. I feel like oh, as no. I'm saying all this stuff. Yeah, I think that, I think what lofty, you're saying is but... so wise. <laughs> oh, absolutely. I agree. I mean, I know that whole idea, you're only as good as the last thing you produced and the pressure on artists at times to keep producing because, oh, I did that, but that was so long ago. What am I doing right now? And you kind of have no laurels to stand on in any way. That's the creative urge. And I think you're right that that's, I mean, it's not just artists who feel that way. It's kind of everybody. And where's mm-hmm. that, just that stillness and that presence that, oh, gosh, I'm in a body and I'm breathing. <laughs> Guess what? That's pretty amazing. Mm-hmm. And I haven't hurt anybody mm-hmm. today. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> I've yeah. actually helped people mm-hmm. today. So I completely mm-hmm. think that that is such a true yeah. statement. So I am looking at the clock, and I'm realizing we're running out of time, and I want to make sure that listeners can find out more about you. How do they do that? 
Um, you can go to my website, which is uh, michellepeneloza.com, and it's M-I-C-H-E-L-L-E-P-E-N-A-L-O-Z-A.com. Uh, and you can find um, links to my books there. I have three. Um, the first one is or the uh, two chapbooks and then um, my first full-length collection. Um, former Possession of the Spanish Empire, and then my two chapbooks are uh, Landscape Heartbreak, which is a project I did in Seattle where um, people took me to places to, for walks to places where they'd had their hearts broken, huh. and I wrote poems based on that. And then my other chapbook, um, which is Last Night I Dreamt of Volcanoes, and all that information is on my website. But I think if you just um, Google my name, um, poems will come up. And you can find out more that way. Um, yeah. Perfect. Why don't you take us out with a poem? Okay. We'll do the title poem from my first collection, or my first fully collection. Former Possessions of the Spanish Empire. People name us with the separation of their teeth, the long V of our naming. It used to be we were named for our proximity, the parentage of the sea, the forest lineage, where we were named for our parents, the song of our names led to the discovery of garlic growing from our palms, the scapes forming a second green hand. But it was in the name of good King Philip that songs changed to names and the naming of names became law. A governor general made a name for himself with the Catalogo de Apellidos, a dissemination of empire, a naming of parts to trace and tax everyone. Whole provinces renamed with efficient alphabetical phenomena, Padilla, Pacheco, Palma, Paz, Perez, Portillo, Puente, Peñalosa. Still, there were names we kept to ourselves, a shorthand between us. Windows lined with votives, jars of holy water, the papaya's lush coral and beaded seeds, shining fish row. Can legacy exist in shorthand? Papal, papa, papel, papaya, paalam, permission, please. What are the root words for what we simply know? How do children born of empire, once removed, possess the history of their naming? Thank you so much. It's just been a pleasure to listen to you read and to talk with you. Fabulous poem. Thanks. You're welcome. Thanks for, um, you know, doing a show that highlights poetry and, and bringing that to people. That's wonderful. Mm-hmm. Well, I look forward to more from you, and thank you <laughs> for your voice yeah, and your you. presence and your ability to bring it all together and your non-precious sensitivity. <laughs> <laughs> well, we, we, you know, I try. Well, I don't know how how uh, consistent that is, but that's a, that's a goal anyway. Well, that hour went fast.
You heard two interviews, one with poet Habez Bill Churchill of Ukiah and the other with Michelle Penaloza from Covalo. I'll be back on March 18th with author, animal advocate, and veterinary homeopath Jan Allegretti. We will be discussing our familiars as well as take a look at animal relationships in terms of emotional health, wellness, and intimacy and ways our human-animal relationships can guide us through these trying times. To listen to this show again or catch past episodes, go find Be More Now on KZOX.org and click on the link to show archives. And Be More Now is also on Spotify. Tomorrow, right here on KZOX at 9 a.m., you can catch Politics, A Love Story. This week, host Bob Bushansky talks with New York Times cybersecurity reporter Nicole Perlroth about her book, This Is How They Tell Me The World Ends. According to Pearl Roth, nothing digital is safe from hackers. Our phones, computers, appliances, thermostats, cars, not even the National Security Agency. That's tomorrow morning right here on KZYX. And something else interesting on the horizon is Noyo Sumagu Coulter and local artist Sally Rodriguez bring the Noyo Center's Winter Wine and Waves Virtual Art and Science Workshop for Adults. And it starts on Saturday, February 20th from 4 to 6 p.m. for the first in a series of art and science virtual workshops for adults. They say grab a glass of wine, beer, or a cup of tea and learn how to make your own silkscreen using simple materials you gather beforehand. They will help inspire marine images, but bring your own design for cards, bags, t-shirts, and more. To register for this workshop, go to www.noyocenter.org or email any questions to sue at noyocenter.org. And that concludes Be More Now. Thank you so much for listening. Stay tuned for W. Dan and the Treehouse and a good time. And yes, take care of yourself. Think good thoughts. Keep that immune system up. And be nice to each other. Have a wonderful evening. This has been a production of KZYX, Philo, 90.7 FM, KZYZ, Willitson, Ukiah, 91.5 FM, and Fort Bragg at 88.1 FM, Mendocino County Public Broadcasting. You can check out our website at kzyx.org to find more content like this, and consider donating by clicking the red donate button in the upper right corner. Thanks for listening.